This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Syme, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Andy, how are you today? Good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? Very well, Andrew. Thank you. And you? I'm well, thanks. Today, our guest is John Waite. John's voice has been a staple on the radio airwaves for decades now. Whether as a chart-topping solo artist with tunes like Change and Missing You, as lead singer of 70s and 80s bands such as The Babies, Back on My Feet Again, Isn't It Time, Every Time I Look at You, all those great songs, or Bad English, uh, When I See You Smile, Price of Love, or pairing up with the likes of Alison Krauss or Kyle Cook and Matchbox 20. His latest release is Wooden Heart, an acoustic anthology, The Complete Recordings, Volume 1, 2, and 3. We'll get into that a little bit later. Featuring songs from his catalog and great covers, uh, by the way, uh, from Bob Dylan, Donovan, and others. With more live shows and new music in the offering, uh, John Waite continues to forge his own path, celebrating the present and engaged by the promise of the future. The story is far from over uh, with John, always, uh, as he continues to forge a path uh, rooted in the blues and soul and country, along with a deep connection to the Celtic folk music of his homeland. Welcome to the Music Buzz Podcast, John Waite. Thank you very much. Hey, John. Hello, everybody. It's an honor to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. That was quite an intro. Yeah. I just want to mention a few things here before we go any further that I found that I had no idea. I was a big Procol Harum fan uh, oh. when I was growing up, and I'd never heard that, the uh, In God's Shadow song from the Keith Reed Common Thread yeah. record. And I just want to say, number one, what a great song and what a wonderful vocal on that. If, if anybody, oh. if listeners haven't heard that, they Thank need you. to check that song out. And I know you've done acoustic versions of it, too. It's beautiful. But Thank you so much. I, I was really blown away with that. And anybody who's not familiar with uh, Lay Down Beside Me, most of your fans would be. But if you haven't heard that, I love hearing you when you do something in that kind of uh, gospel country blues kind of thing because your your voice fits that just as well as it does pop music and um it really gives you a chance it's kind of like a master class in singing if you listen to that that that's a wonderful thing for a, aspiring singer to to show emotion but not be over the top with trying to sh be showy yeah. it's so Thank good you. man Thank it's just wonderful you. but what really blew me away and i hadn't heard it is your wooden heart acoustic anthology because I'm a huge, I mean, Donovan and I have a song that's going to come out this year that we wrote a long time right. ago. I got to produce some stuff for him. And I heard your version of Catch the Wind and a classic song. But, man, you kind of, you did your own thing with it. You know, you messed with the melody just a little bit and fabulous. Girl from the North Country, a 
killer version, but what really blew my mind was not dark yet. Uh, you, yes. you invented a whole melody to it. I mean, there was no melody. We've all heard Dylan's version of that. I mean, dude, the, the what you did with that, it gave me chills. I listened to yeah. it four times. Blew my mind. Thank you. Yeah, tell us about that one a little bit. Obviously, yeah. just that project in general. Well, I, I, I went in the studio to record some electric songs, and they hit the wall. They just hit the wall. I couldn't make anything come together. And I'd spent a couple of weeks in the studio and I thought, well, you know, I don't want to leave empty handed. It's been such a big effort for the musicians and me. And I spent, I dropped a whole bunch of money. And I thought, well, you know, go back to the acoustic thing and add to the Wooden Heart albums that you put out. And um, that song is like an existential blues. It's, it's uh, yeah. a lot of his stuff. Anybody that tries to pass comment on Dylan and, and sort of understand his work, you know, and you know the, the the dons of rock and roll, they always seem to Grail Marcus and all those guys. They always seem to have this thing that they know, and nobody knows but Dylan. Exactly. And um. Exactly. And it's annoying to see that, but it, as an innocent, I kind of I love the song, and it always affected me very deeply. To me, that's the, the upper range of Dylan's songs, if I dare say that. There's Blind Willie McTell. Oh, I love yeah. that one. Visions of Joanna. There's there's like songs. That's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, man. Ain't it just like the night? I want to hear you do that one. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'd like to do an album of Dylan's songs. I would, but, but that was, that not dark yet, it's uh, deep water, you know? And I slowed it down. I don't even know if we did it in the same key. I knew the song inside out, so I didn't listen to it. I played the band when I wanted, and it was only me and Shane, uh, two guitar players. It was uh, Luis Maldonado from Tran and Shane Fontaine, my my usual go-to guy for the acoustic. But we just threw ourselves into it. Sure. And then I put piano in it. But, I mean, um, there's no way. The, the great thing with Dylan is that you can't copy him, you know? It's like he's so so simple in his delivery i mean girl from the north country it sounds like he's reading a menu in a, in a coffee shop you know and it's the most profound heartbreaking thing because he's looking away as he's reading it he's like uh it's not emotional and it shows such a tremendous amount of hurt you know for not copying right. to it you know and uh that's subtle that's Good very point. subtle so you can't overplay your hand and i don't like singers that do that there's a lot of arena rock singers that just you know, and I just look at them and think, well, you know, the butcher stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that's, I'm glad you like that. I'm, I'm proud of, oh, I'm proudest of that song on the, on the three CDs. I think it was a, it was a risk. Well, it was man. The, but the melody that you invented and the way you approached that, you could tell that you loved it. Is that an invented melody? Shadows are falling and I've been here all day. Well, I don't know. It just it's way different than what Bob did. Oh well, the the, the chorus yeah. for sure. The oh chorus. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just where you took it. I mean, it, you know, Bob Leaf lets you do that because he's just kind of hammering around. On yeah, whatever. you get the you get the sort of boilerplate version of like this is what I've done, and uh, and you yeah. can look at it from any angle. Yeah. But any singer can go in and make it something different, right? Well, it's a cool, really cool collection of songs. I mean, obviously the the stuff from the babies in there and your solo stuff. I love hearing just different takes of songs that you're so familiar with, of course. Yeah. But the cover tunes and you know you end the record at least you know this most recent anthology with um, "I'm So Lonesome I Can Cry," which is fantastic. that was beautiful too. Yeah, yeah wow, it was super cool. I really appreciate that because uh, it's like the 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 
the Donovan song. I cut that years ago. Uh, I used that version. I, I cut it in a cow shed in Wales. Uh, the, the, the bass player for Motorhead has a studio called Full, like a, a, a young horse, Full Studios. And all those guys like live in the country in like ramshackle cottages and stuff. And they all have motorcycles and they all smoke tons of dope. They're great, you know. And uh, and so me and a friend of mine, Woody, went down there from my hometown. I was visiting and we, and we spent the night, you know, we cooked up some food in the main house and then went to this uh, studio across the way and and just cut some songs for fun. And that was that was one of the songs we did. I mean, I mean, there's such a history of of Celtic music and folk music and skiffle and blues and bluegrass. And all of those forms of music made me the singer I am or the artist I am. It wasn't rock and roll. Well, I appreciate the insight on that. That's just such a good anthology. Congratulations on all that. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. You know, I think it's the best thing I've done. I listened to it all the way through a couple of weeks ago and it was me. You know, there's another album called Temple Bar that came out in the 90s that was about New York City, midlife crisis, religion, sex, drugs, the lot, all on one record. And I thought, well, if I if I die and somebody wanted to know who I was or when I die, uh, it would be Temple Bar. But some of the songs from Temple Bar found their way onto mm-hmm. Wooden Heart and uh, like more, I resang that. See, they're all kind of searching songs, you know. When did it become evident to you that music was your calling. I understand from just reading briefly this morning that you went to art college, which, yeah. which I get. I and mean, I think everybody in the Beatles did while well, the two members of the Beatles did. So um, what, what, yeah. what drew you to the pursuit of music? And when did you finally find your voice and say, I can do this? Cause I know from talking to people like George Martin, which I, I know I'm dropping a name there, but he was telling me clearly that John didn't like his voice it's it's documented that Elton didn't like his voice, but only certain people can yeah. convey their own music. So when did you become when did you become when did you become that person? Well, I always sang. I mean, I my auntie Doris came over one night when I was about five, and and they gave me a bath in front of the fire in a tin bath because we lived in a mm-hmm. in a cottage uh, facing the country. And I remember afterwards she said, "Sing us a song, John," because she only I could sing. But yeah. I was very shy, you know. I've been shy a lot of my life, really, which is kind of strange. But And I remember going in the kitchen and shutting the door and singing because I didn't want anybody to see me singing. So singing and music around the house, my mum played piano. My brother's a great guitar player. My cousin Michael's a great banjo ukulele player. I mean, my dad loved classical music. I went to art school. I mean, it was just like, you know, I mean, when the Beatles kicked in or the Shadows just before that, Everything it hadn't been Marvin, you know. It was like it's like sex before yeah, you knew what yeah. sex was. It was this neon blue, quiet, smoldering thing. And Hank's got the glasses on and he's looking like he's having a great time. But there's something very, very sexual about it and uh, romantic. And um, then the Beatles put words to it. And uh, almost overnight, everybody wanted to be in a band, uh-huh. including me. And my brother, my brother already was. So I grew up around musicians, but I remember running out the the living room and singing a a small faces song at the top of my lungs, unself-conscious, and it hit all the notes. And I remember stopping and thinking, Jesus, I can hit that note. Or like, wow. Yeah. Or like You can hit Steve Marriott notes, you're you're starting out pretty good, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, yeah. it would be 
But I, I don't know if my voice had broken. It was like one of those things where you go like, I could control it and I knew how to get it. And um, it wasn't a wild card. It was something I was born sure. with. And then, I, but it, it was just always there. I mean, it was, I never thought of myself as a singer. I could sing, but I was more interested in the bass and uh, playing bass and, and what McCartney was doing. Andy Fraser, Jack Bruce, uh, all the great bass players. I was, I was yeah. Bach. You know, where the bass was moving against the chords and the passing notes. And the thing is then, you know, it's got four strings. It's very simple, but it could dominate any yeah. kind of music. You know, the national anthem, God Save the Queen in England. When you listen to the bass descending, you know, it's like, wow. And so, and that affected my singing style, but I became a bass player. And then, and I sang a couple of songs in the bands I was with, but when the babies, with the primitive two-man babies, me and Mike Colby, nobody had any songs, nobody had nothing. So I wrote songs and then I sang them. Then we got a drummer. Then we were kind of a band. Then I kept writing songs. Then we were jamming. I think even up to that point, I wasn't sure whether the babies wanted to get a real front man, like a yeah. singer, singer, you know, but I had it, you know. And I didn't really take a lot of shit. It's like, I, I, I always know it goes like this. And uh, I was strong. I mean, I've come up against some really uh, big obstacles with people saying, you know, like, not right now, or I know better, or don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I just said, no. Yeah. Good for you. You know, it goes like, I mean, I have, those, I have those roots. It's hard to argue with somebody that was born against cowboy music. Because, you know, Marty, Marty Robbins and all that shit was like, yeah, that's it. Marty Robbins is rock and roll before rock and roll. You were very fortunate to be in that family, in your family. I, I love, similarly, I love hearing McCartney's story about his living room and the sing, sing songs that they had. You know, it makes total sense, yeah. Yeah, and the Kinks, too. They had yep. that big big parlor that they wrote all those early records. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 10 people yeah. living in a small little yeah. working class home. Well, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. I mean, it's like I used to say sex and music. Are the only thing that's that are free to a working class family. I mean, to to love and a family and a, a whole thing, but the family, uh, sex and music is an expression of love and uh, an expression of where like your life is going. But you don't have to pay for any of it. Yeah. It's there for you. It's like God gave us all this some free tickets, like at Disneyland. Yes, right. you can do this. Yes, you can do that. And for the other kid. You have to pay two for, great choices you, know? you made. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. I, you know, I whistle while I work. You know, <laughs> so I bet it's I bet it's tough to be your bass player. It is. That's a job that uh, yeah, you have some trepidation yeah. about. No, taking. it is. Well, that's why Tim Hogan works so damn hard. I just I just got the answer there, John. So that's why he does everything right. It's like he has to. He's the bass yeah, he's player. Very he's got committed. to prove himself. So he's got to be the tour manager, the publicist. Yeah, okay. Now it makes sense. <laughs> he's great like that i mean he was a big fan of the baby's yeah. records and the bass yeah. playing so we have a, a language you can understand but i mean it's like there's certain like an eb3 bass uh the one that uh, andy fraser was using the original great band yeah great band but i mean um that bass is a great deal of personality you can't you know it's an eb3 and uh like a dan electro yeah, yeah, yeah. longhorn but you play a precision defender and you uh -huh. could be anybody and the thing I went up with in the studio against producers was, you got to play the Fender on the album. And I said, no. You know, I got this Sumatus bass here with a 
Fender pickup, but he could have showed a scale that was made for me. This is the sound. It's different. Did you have flat wounds or, or round wound strings on it? Well, I, uh, wire wound, yeah. Uh, I mean, the flat wound, I used those on the Ringo tour with the, uh, with the violin bass because yeah. it was more authentic. So that's the sound, for sure. Could you imagine someone telling Paul to drop the Hofner and just play a, a precision? You make a good point about that. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of people, it's like a Rickenbacker sounds like a Rickenbacker, and a Strat sounds like a Strat, even against a Telecaster, which are both Fender guitars for the people out there. But, I mean, the bass should be as important. You reach for that authenticity in the sound. You know, we it can't be too driven. And, uh, you know, McCartney's still playing the violin bass. He got in 1965, you know, beautiful old bass, you know. So you mentioned the babies earlier. And I think the babies are one of those bands. It's like when you bring up the, the small faces or faces, I've always thought of the babies as like, the, the, they're like the small faces of everything that came after that, particularly like the, you know, just that, that journey sound that you had in the eighties. I always, I always feel like everybody stole a little bit from the babies. And I don't know if you remember this or not, and you may not even know this happened, but there was a time period where they were selling baseball cards with musicians on them. Oh yeah, and there was a I saw it. There was a four pack, and I would buy them at, at the Hooks Drug Store where I grew up. And in the pack was always four different groups. It was the Village People, it was Kiss, and it was Queen, and the other band was the Babies. Hmm. I don't know if you knew that or not, but no, no. Somebody sent me a a, a couple to sign. You know, I get mail. Oh, did they really? Yeah, okay. and I signed them, and I and I sent them off. And um, yeah, I was impressed. That's I, cool. I man. mean, bubblegum cards. Yeah, right. right. I suppose you've made it when you put your own bubblegum. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had them. And it, at the time, I was young enough. I was kind of scared to kiss, you know. And and on the back side of the cards, they would make a puzzle of the bands if you collected enough of them. And because I was scared to kiss, of course, the first band that I get the full puzzle of is freaking Kiss. So I was kind of like, damn. Yeah, I think I was more into the village people at the time. I don't know. But anyway. Andy, I can't believe you admitted that, but okay. We, we won't hold it against you. Well, hey, man. <laughs> you know, we all start somewhere. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I had to scroll through YouTube to remember his name, but I was recently turned on to a double bass player by the name of Renat Ibrahimov. Are you familiar with him? No, no. Oh, definitely find him. He he will blow your mind. His What's ability. His name? Renat R I N A T. Hang on. Ibrahimov. I B R A G I M O V. He's a principal double bass player from the London Symphony Orchestra. Oh yeah. Check it out. I will. I mean, it's the one thing I've got left to do in life is buy myself a double bass. You do play it though, yeah? No, I've never. I, I, I've I've tinkered around. Okay. They're huge, you know. And if you buy one uh, from anywhere but your hometown, right. it has to be shipped. And then you know you got this semi-acoustic giant thing, and um, shipping it, man. And a lot of them are made out of plywood. But some yeah. of the really, really good ones are made out of like uh, press wood, and I yeah. mean hard to find. But uh, you can pay a gigantic amount of money for double bass. I think if I move from here and I get rid of a lot of my stuff, I might, I, you know, I was thinking about painting more and learning the double bass, you know. You say painting more. Are you still painting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to I talk about that. You can see over your uh, right shoulder there, guys. You can see the cover of the new uh, anthology. But that's your work, yeah. right, John? Yeah. Well, the whole thing is kind of, I mean, you know, this is news to me, but I thought about it and, and I did the picture. Hang on. <clears throat> This is uh, 
this is the original, right? Oh, awesome. Yeah. I was looking at this one there and I thought, wow, that's blonde on blonde in a strange kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I think they had the idea to release all three albums simultaneously. It was like an epiphany, you know, it's like all these songs you want to sing again or add, like you're talking about Not Dark Yet or more. Songs that are like uh, tricky, but you can hear me like touch. Um, you can hear, I mean, I think it's the best I sang. You know, I think it's beautiful. I, yeah, I just, man. Yeah, but I just went. I wasn't like at this age. It isn't like I asked somebody, is that any good? It's just like it's done. And if, if I take a turn and I drop a, a note or my voice breaks, I love all that. I keep it in. You know, it's the voice experience. I was going to ask you how many times, how many would you work on those vocals or did you just sing at one time and you were done? Oh, no, no. I listened to, I listened to Don't Duck Yet. And I, and I thought if I sing the chorus differently, you know, is, is Dylan going to be pissed? <laughs> yeah, be pissed. Because yeah. I know if you don't cross the uh, the T and dot the I when you cover one of his songs, he can be not happy about it. I've heard uh, that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and then I thought, well, what I was trying to put across in the song, from what I understood, well, there was a, a kind of desperation in it, you know, like it, time is short. Yeah. And, and his version, the original version, is, is calmer. It's more like, a, um, I don't know, sardonic. There's a kind of thing like here it comes. And I, I have a lot of things I want to do that I, in the future. And I think it was, it was me singing against time. So I had my own thing. So I couldn't not do yeah. that. I couldn't not do that. I wasn't going to like sing it for the critics or sing it like Bob would sing it. So they sound like a tribute, you know? Yeah. And it's feel it's you, man. I mean, it's, yeah, it didn't remind me of Dylan's version at all. Well, that was the point. And I think if you're going to sing somebody's song, it behooves you and, and both of you, the writer or whatever, to bring yourself to it. Or why would you do it? You know, it's like people who, yeah. want, us, who want the hipness of the original and they want to align themselves with it and say, look at me, I'm a clever boy. That ain't yeah. the name of the game. The name of the game is to bring yourself in 100% and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's amazing for you to be at your age, and as long as you've been doing this, and you're at your peak now. Yeah, it's I know. It's pretty astounding to me. I mean, No, it's it astounding really to me. You know, I'm, I'm on the mic and I'm singing, I'm singing and, and, I, and, I, and I know that I'm, I'm, I'm at probably the highest place I've been. But it's all about wisdom. You know, it's all about fearless. I just don't question myself. I mean, I was, I was playing with Ringo years ago, and we're all stood around in a circle singing Here Comes the Sun, a cappella. And, and it came to me, I was going to sing two lines or whatever, all lined up. And Ringo stopped it and said, sing it like George. And I said, no. <laughs> you know, I said, no, no, I'm not. You know, George isn't with us anymore. You know, we, we all love George. And George would, would understand why I came. You wouldn't tell... Uh, you wouldn't tell somebody to do that, really. Uh, Joe Cocker doing uh, a little hell for my friends. You wouldn't say, yeah. Yeah. you know, sing it, sing it like I did. Yeah. yeah right. What's the point? Exactly. You know, what, what is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point? I mean, Sinatra. I mean, he took songs and uh, that he hadn't written. He didn't really write a lot of songs, but man, he brought himself into yeah. it. Yeah. No that's question. the magic of it. It lives there. 
the, the excitement of being a singer and, and watching this thing you don't really control, you're so naked in your instincts. It's, it's, a interesting, it's an interesting thing when you start singing. So have you always painted as, as part of your need to express yourself, or is that coming back more now than... No, I, I gave up for a long time. I mean, the reason I became a singer and a, and a writer was that it was quicker. And uh, a lot of the people at our school, the, the, peop- the art school I went to in my hometown was this beautiful building built to be an art school with skylights in the top, and it was stone, and it was massive. And yeah. It was and it was a fucking serious. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful... But some of the students that went there, like Joe Wright, became a, a worldwide famous illustrator. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ben Kelly... A friend of mine that I just got in touch with again designed the Hacienda in in Manchester. Uh, ah. Yeah, and um, yeah. he was on the boat with the Sex Pistols when they got arrested and stuff. They had that sort of alumni. All those people were that gifted. Not all, yeah. but a handful. And when you're in that company and you realize that somebody's meant to be that, and I knew that I was pretty good, but I wasn't going to change the world. And it. The idea that you could write a song and sing it immediately, that really appealed to me. I didn't think I was much of a singer, but I thought at least it will be authentic. Yeah. If I'm not great, it's still honest, you know? Yeah. And if I can't be as good as Joe and Ben, and they are so naturally... My cousin Michael is a great painter. The guy that played the banjo, man, he went to art school. And uh, he took me aside when I was a kid and he wasn't playing me Jimmy Rogers and stuff. Uh, it, it was like he was playing me all this country and western stuff, but he had a, he was really a, a, a brilliant painter. Brilliant, man. So I, I chose music because I might be better at it. I went the other way. I was in a band on the same label as Rush in the 70s and ended up opting for the art as my career and ended up loving to do everything in a painterly style in the beginning, well before Photoshop or any compositing was available. But I, I yearn to paint again. I have painted several times through my career, but it's such a laborious process. Yeah, I love doing it, but I also, like you, like to get the image uh, completed. And now the ideas I have can be rendered through photography and photo compositing and the, the amalgam of illustration yeah. and paint. Uh, are your paintings urgent or, or, or persnickety? Well, you know, no, I, I, I got this huge painting that I did uh, yesterday. I found a canvas in a junk store and I brought it home and I painted it white. And I started off on this thing about a boxer and it's gone through a lot of different incarnations. If you go to my Facebook page, you can see the head of the boxer and it's very Basquiat, you know, it's very, it's like really kind of like a cartoon, but it's it's got knowledge of uh, the human skull and stuff. Yeah. It's up and I've, I've put bottle caps in there for eyes and I've, I've maneuvered this thing for the last four weeks, five weeks. And then yesterday I went too far. So I painted the entire thing white uh, <laughs> and let it dry overnight. And I looked at it this morning. It's in my bedroom. I, I woke up to it. It's still got the eyes. And I looked at it, and it looked at me, and we're going to go again. You know, I mean, it's like... It's great. I'm looking it's at not it urgent. It's not urgent to finish it, so I'm going to wrestle with this thing till I get, you know, but it's... Uh, but when I say urgent, I refer to style, like um, an urgent kind of... There's an energy that is in your painting that, that in, in this particular one with the eyes and the, the... I'm looking at the head now, and it's fabulous. 
but there's a and, and the word primitive sounds derogatory but there's a certain primitive urgency um to your strokes and the way you approach your painting yeah which, which is great it's like jazz man it's way it's way yeah but that's very kind of you yeah i i don't think i could do the other thing like it's about being pantsly you know you you watch, you watch uh you know the movie turner with um timothy spall you know and and you you can see turner mixing his colors with his dad and it's very laborious and it's yeah. very it's like we're gonna paint today son you know and it's like all right i'll get the pants out son and and then you see him in this torment like with with the fucking brush like just trying to get into the royal academy to hang that you know it's like he's seen he once strapped himself to the mast mast of a boat in a storm so he could paint a storm yeah, and and and, and the, the paintbrush has changed into a camera. It could be the painting's obsolete in the old sense, you know. That's commitment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Wow, that's, that's fine art, you know. Well, it's like it's like the triple zero brushes of Vermeer. I mean, I still marvel at his light, and 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 again, that whole movement is is to me is is wonderful. That that attention to detail has always kind of seduced me. Yeah. When I look at the work of people like Marshall Arisman or or uh Francis Bacon or Francis or, Bacon. Or, or John Waite. <laughs> hey no you know? uh, Caravaggio man I got I got this book on Caravaggio I was reading it and uh and he's the father of all uh, modern painting because he's, he's the first guy to use light and shade and perspective and depth of field. Mm -hmm. It was a nutcase. It was a nutcase. It was absolutely trouble on, on a stick. You couldn't put him in a room without him trying to kill somebody or kill himself. It was yeah. an absolute waste of time as a human being. He was an idiot. Well, but you give him a canvas and some colors, and he discovered modern, how we see modern art now in the painterly way, you know. But not to get carried away, but the mystery of painting is, is this, I mean, anything, man. It's like poetry or or you know, I guess skydiving or building a wall. It's the art of trying to make something out of nothing. As McCartney said, why you write songs is because before it was written, there was nothing there. Yeah. And then McCartney comes in and makes something, you know, it's like being God. It's like, it's like prayer. It's like the original is better. The tree is always better than the painting. I think right. it, that's kind of like religion to me. It's like it's like an homage to God, yeah, and the, yeah. and the human figure, and trying to express the beauty of a woman, like looking away or there's something in their eyes. I mean, that's like it's already there. Yeah, we're, we're so enraptured by it. We're trying to imitate it and hold the moment. You know. Yeah. And there are certain things in painting which you you mentioned. Um, nature of the tree i'd be traveling with my family and my mother had this way of saying nice job god you know and she'd oh, be referring wow. to the sunset she would yeah. and I, I would think of it as just the way she she referred to his achievement that night you know yeah. I, I i thought sure. of it and, and ever since you know i i understand the challenge of any painter whether you're turner or or dolly you know or whoever painting sun is like is <laughs> forget it yeah nobody said it's a bit, but what else can we do? We're like the witness of the world. That's the human human being is the witness to all this wonder. Mm -hmm. You know, we can see it and exchange and talk and try and create and and all the animals around us that can think in their own way, like chimps or whatever. But we can express something else. Yeah, it, it's a royal thing. I don't know if it's just for nothing. 
or if it gives us the dignity, but we make things. I think it's all, all that, yeah. Do you make the, that music yourself, or do you enjoy, as did Paul with John, do, do you like collaborating? Or Oh, very much. Very, very much. I, can, I, I love running by myself. I've got something I'm working on now that I've been working on for like four years, so I can't seem to finish, and I've decided I'm going to finish it because I'm lazy. But uh, with, with, a, with another person in the room, like a guitar player, even if you're coming up with all the ideas, he's going to voice the chords differently. And he yeah. might get in half time and suddenly a door opens. You walk into that room yeah. by yourself. You're just looking in a mirror. So I love yeah. uh, and any kind of a record <clears throat> is collaborative. Yeah. You know, there's again, Paul McCartney talking on three, two, one about George Martin. And I, was, I got up this morning thinking about Ringo. He said they were doing get back. You know, get back, him and John were just playing around, get back. And then Ringo goes behind the kit and starts playing this military thing. Yeah, and and Paul said, you know, we didn't, we would never have gone there. That record you made with Kyle Cook um, back in, I think, 2011 or so, Rough and Tumble. That was yeah. such a great record. I think as a fan of yours, especially the babies, that to me, that was, in a lot of ways, that was like this uh, return to, kind of those roots it was such a good record man and talk about a great collaboration there thank you no kyle's a great guy he was we got introduced and uh we just met cold in nashville in a writing room and um we were entirely different i mean he showed up in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops and a guitar and a, you know he's very relaxed and he's got this thing and i think i had a suit on i mean it was like you know it was kind of comical but we really hit it yeah. off and within uh within like 20 minutes we had better off gone more or less on its way you know it's like a and he he became part of the band mm -hmm. we toured europe with kyle yeah. he met my mum. my mom loves it <laughs> and uh his mum loves me <laughs> i i worked with kyle on one of his recent uh, eps um rivers and rust mm -hmm. and uh oh it's great yeah he's a fabulous guy yeah that, that's a good that's a good record yeah yeah but he's a he's a good guy i mean he's uh the fact because we weren't playing huge places in europe it was kind of like just keeping a promise to go and play so we we're playing in like 500 seat clubs sometimes 1500 if we were like really doing well in that area and then we drive over the alps in a van you know with the roadie and the and the tour manager and um and i look back and there's there's kyle on the back in the back seat like reading the book or looking out the window or talking about michael jackson it just just blended in it wasn't like you know where are we going today boys but you know we go go out and eat strange german food and drink a lot of beer and it, it was great <laughs> you know just a really good guy to yeah. be around yeah speaking of old stories so hugh i know the uh want to transition a little bit we always we always talk to our guests about album art but this obviously is every once in a while when we talk to him hugh's actually created artwork for some of their work, and I know you did the bad English stuff. Oh, yeah. Let's come on now. Here we go. I think, obviously, fondly of the relationship with the band uh, and certainly meeting with you guys at the studio. I, I think it was a studio city. I forget where it was in L.A. Um, and Trudy was there, and you guys presented the name of your band, which I resisted. I, I still did some cover concepts <laughs> for it, but... It it was Volte Wolf. I remember it clearly, and I wow. thought, do you know, do you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I thought, how third right? <laughs> how third right could you get? You know, I just felt wrong. Yeah, uh, no, that was, I hope that wasn't me. 
No, no, I, I, I'm sure it wasn't. But during that meeting, um, when I sort of made it clear to Judy that I, uh, Trudy, I beg your pardon, that that I thought we could probably do better, and I wasn't like my place, but I thought, you know, p- please consider a, a different name. You guys were somebody was playing billiards or pool in the background, and somebody said, "Oh man, that was some bad English." And I think it was you that said that because I recall it in a British accent, and you're the only one in the band with a British accent. And it became evident to me that that would be it. And I'm not taking claim for the cover. Oh, no, absolutely no. I have no yeah. idea where it, I mean, I look back at that stuff and I have no idea. That's where I believe it came from, was that that evening. Yeah. So Hugh named you guys. Well, I, I offered, I offered well, the observation. John named Hugh Heard, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There, there you go. go. There you go. No, that's great. I mean, it's a, that's, a, that's a hell of an album cover. It's very simple, but um, yeah, I think it worked well for you know for the band um i think that that photograph looks like one of those like uh 13th century dutch it's all the lighting you know it looks like you know it it does to me you know i mean um uh maybe a bit later napoleonic or something i don't know uh yeah but it's a it's it's a pretty rocking cover Mm -hmm. i mean for the time you know well i uh, you know, simplicity is something that you sometimes have to do with a certain degree of abandon and and conviction, just to dare to be minimal. You know, when when, the, when Rush came to me with the title Counterparts, I thought it's got to be a nut and a bolt and nothing more. And they didn't buy it at first. It was like, you've got to be fucking kidding. And then days later, it became evident that that would be pretty cool. You know, so I... That's like hypnosis, though. They would do something that was like... Just so, I mean, it was, uh, it would make you go like, eh? but it was something yeah. that wasn't necessarily uh, overly done. It was, it was always something, I mean, the cow on the Pink Floyd album. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. And people are going to, mm. you know, back then everybody's tripping and smoking pot. You know, you yeah. should, and this is the new Pink Floyd album. What the fuck is that? You know, it's like, but I mean, a cow, <laughs> a cowboys, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> That was a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Fair enough. The Flaming Guy on uh, Wish You Were Here was a classic, oh, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. And then what's that got to do with the title has been the brilliant, to me, that's what was so brilliant about that cover. I mean, yeah, a lot of here. LSD, a lot of LSD at that point. I think a lot of symbolism, you know, that was like really out, you know, really yeah. disconnected. Well, I, I can't, I can't discount the in- influence that Storm had on my thinking well if i'm going to do art it's got to be that much fun it's got to be with the freedom afforded an artist to do things like album covers not to be tethered to the automotive or pharmaceutical or you know advertising world so yeah that's the difference there's a, there's a lot of people look that do even though they do it in a, in a different way but the, the, it's marketing is a weird thing marketing yeah. doesn't necessarily represent art it's just a a link in a chain to go from the invisible to the to the dollar bill, you know, it's like a, it's it's a a strange thing. But there's been some wonderful. Just talking about album art, I mean, just wonderful, wonderful. So how how important? I mean, in your when you were growing up and buying albums, and you know, first you know, excited about what music meant to you. How much did shelf appeal reach you when you want? Yeah, when you walk when you walked into a record store. Well, you know, I mean. I mean, even the Beatles' first album, looking down the car, you know, the the, the stairs, and yeah. I mean that, you know, and the type in red, and yep. um, 
And then the second album where they're all kind of like in the half darkness. Yeah. And, yeah, and the classic. one that really killed me was Marty Robbins, uh, uh, Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. The, it's like a hot pink album. And Marty's on the front going for his six gun with a cowboy hat. And it's, oh. uh, I, when I was about five, I used to get out of school, run down the hill to this Kenneth Gardner's uh, record shop and look up at this thing. And I would try and make it last till my bus came because I was so entranced by this hot sort of red pink. Yeah, thing. man, I'm looking at it now. It's very cool. Yeah. But I mean, that, I mean, the little kid, like five years old in shorts and, you know, a little jacket and stuff, it's kind of a nice image. But looking up at this thing that says America and right next to it was uh, the one of Elvis in the Gold LeMay suit. You know, I think it was a million Elvis ca fans can't be wrong or something. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Your covers were personality driven for the most part. You, you, you were evident on the cover. It's, it's not often, if I'm not mistaken, it's not often, if ever, that you did a cover that was just pure concept. Was there? No, I, no, no. I, I, I would always be full of ideas and step in, or I'd know a photographer, or I'd be thinking yeah. something. You know, that we, I just saw the, uh, Bailey's uh, exhibition in, in New York City, and I was with the A&R guy and my manager. We, we, we were just trying to sort of spend the afternoon in New York, just hanging out. And we, yeah. there it was. It was and on the east side. So we all went in. I turned to the A&R guy and said, we need this for the album cover. It just sort of yeah. those kismet things, you know. And um, Good call. Yeah, but, you know, things find you like that. It's like the Beatles, you know. Like they do the most ordinary thing, and it, and like the cover of of Rubber Soul, it's mm -hmm. like concave or something. Is it convex? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it fell okay. against. It fell. It, it was a slide, and it fell against the chair, and so oh. they looked like they were kind of stretched. And he said, "That's the cover." You know. Yeah. And they looked like they were kind of stone too. On that, well, I would right? say at that kinda, point their they eyes were, were kind of. Yeah. Their eyes were slits on that record for sure. <laughs> And by the way, man, congratulations. You're a U.S. citizen. Yeah. For a couple of years now. Yeah. I, uh, I thought That's it was awesome. time. I, I really thought, I thought it was time. I love this country and I've spent a great deal of my life here. And, uh, and I'm going back and forth all the time. But I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to vote. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, I wanted to vote. I thought, you know, put up or shut up. Yeah. It, it took nine months to become a citizen and um, quite a bit of money and a lot of trouble, but uh, we're glad you did it, man. Glad thank you're you. here. Well, it's an honor to, Proud to have you. I mean, I, 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 on my Twitter page, I say, I think I say Englishman yank. It looks good to me. You know, Do you keep your British passport or yeah, I got two passports. So, so you don't lose your Englishness. You don't have to kind of no. Yeah. You know, good. It's all fish and chips and game yeah. and the country yeah. pub and a small dog that's vicious and Radio 4 and the beef <laughs> and the royal family. And then it's this, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, this has been great, John. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate the time. I've enjoyed it. It's great to see you again. Now I'm going to go away and, and, and listen to all these things that, to my shame, I'm not familiar with, like Wooden Heart, Catch the Wind, Not Dark Yet, Girl from north country I, you won't be disappointed yeah. and john i just say man keep making records like that because 
It's really so so soulful and and good and. Uh, it makes it worthwhile to hear somebody actually say that. Cause, I mean, you you do make these records for yourself, but you are trying to speak to the people that might be listening. And if you get it, oh, you you know, there's a, a connection between us. It's it's uh, that's the whole reason. Nobody writes a song to keep to themselves. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's early here. I don't know what it's like for you, but uh, it's early. But uh, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Great chatting with you, man. Yeah, nice to see you. Nice seeing you. Take it easy, buddy. Keep painting. Yeah. All right. All the, all the best. Okay. Take it easy. Thank you. Thanks, John. God bless you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. See you, man. Bye. Oh, yeah.